morning. Welcome to Barah Ministries, an intimate local Christian church with worldwide impact. My name is Pastor Rory Clark. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. At Barah Ministries, we know this truth, that Jesus Christ is God. As the Lord, he is 100% deity. He is God the Son, a member of the triune Godhead. He is also 100% human, just like you and me, and his name is Jesus Christ. The Lord, God the Son, became flesh, Jesus Christ, and lived among us. He is the uniquely born one, 100% God and 100% man and one person forever. He is the sovereign God of the universe, and he is the Jewish Messiah. He was not sent to judge the world, but God the Father sent the Son that the world would be saved through him. Jesus Christ died on a cross to make the only perfectly satisfactory payment in the eyes of God the Father for sin. And as a result of his victory at the cross, his strategic victory, we are fully forgiven and forever forgiven of all of our sins. As those who make Barah Ministries our spiritual home, we are Christians. Being a Christian means that we believe in the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we have a deep, intimate, and personal relationship with him. Christianity is a relationship, not a religion. And the Lord Jesus Christ is a person. He is not a thing. He is not a concept. Just as we do with anyone whom we love, we spend time getting to know the Lord. We don't want the first time that we meet the Lord to be the time when we are in front of him. And so we get to know him in advance. And since the Bible is his exact thinking, we come together to learn his mind through the study of his word. Now, God has an enemy. Satan, the ruler of this world, he is a liar who deceives the whole world, including you. He doesn't want you to get to know God, and he interferes with your chance to get to know God. The word of God is the truth that keeps us aware of Satan's insidious deceptions. And as believers in Christ, in union with Christ, we have the victory over Satan through our Lord who has overcome the world. Now, it's come to my attention this week that when I talk about the Mormon religion or when I talk about the Roman Catholic religion or when I talk about the Jewish religion, that I am bagging on those religions. Okay? Now, I don't think that's what I'm doing. I think what I'm doing is my job. And what my job is, is to tell you the truth. And if I stand up here and tell you that Christianity Mormonism, Roman Catholicism, and Judaism are all the same, that we basically all believe the the same thing and we basically all have a route to God, I would be lying to you. Now, for 21 years of being a Roman Catholic, I had a false gospel. I was a Christian because I became a Christian before I became a Catholic, but I had a false gospel. There are 1.2 billion Catholics in the world, and a lot of them are my my friends, and I will be damned if I'm going to stand in this pulpit and tell them anything but the truth. And here's the truth about Roman Catholicism. They do not believe in the Jesus Christ of biblical Christianity. They believe in another Jesus. And I'm not going to stand up here and tell them that they believe in the same God I do for the purpose of getting along with them 
or for the purpose of sounding politically correct. I would rather shoot myself in the mouth than to ever do that. Period. There is no way that I'm going to tell somebody who is in the church of, Latter, uh, uh, of Jesus Christ and the Latter-day Saints that they believe in the same Jesus Christ that I do. They don't. And if you're a Christian and you don't know how to explain that to them, you're worse than them because they know that they don't believe in the Jesus Christ of biblical Christianity. If you ask a Mormon if Jesus Christ is God, the Mormon will tell you no. I've had so many kids come to my door and tell me that. And I'm not going to stand up here as a pastor and tell you that there's no difference between Mormonism and Christianity. I'm not going to tell you that Mormons are Christians. They aren't unless they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as deity, the sign behind my head. And I'm definitely not going to tell my Jewish friends, who I absolutely adore, that they can ignore their Messiah to say Jesus Christ is a good teacher, a good rabbi, but he is not God, that they can ignore their Messiah and get to heaven. I'm not going to tell them that because that's a damn lie, and I'm not the pastor who's going to do it. Now, if there's anybody who doesn't like that, that I teach that, then don't listen to me. i got a great guy to recommend you to, Joel Osteen. Go right to him, and he will never open up a Bible. He will never offend you. If you go to his doctrinal statement on his website, and this is how you evaluate every religion. You go to the doctrinal statement, and you compare what that doctrinal statement says to what the Bible says, and then just look. Because that's what I did when I left Roman Catholicism. That's what I did when I left systematic theology. All I did was compare the doctrines to the Bible. They're saying 180 degree different things. But if you want a pastor who's not going to ever offend you, Joel Osteen's the guy. Go to his website, look under what we believe, and you will see every statement under what we believe is true. None of them are backed up by Bible verses, and not one thing that's said there tells you that there is a consequence to you for rejecting a relationship with Jesus Christ. I am not going to be that pastor. I will die and go straight to hell before I will ever be that pastor. So please, whoever you are, if you want to talk to me about that, Please know what the answer is in advance. Just run this. This was about four minutes. Just run it over and over because that's never going to happen. And if you're a Christian and you can't explain to a Roman Catholic, to a person who's Jewish, and to a Mormon why there is hope in you, then and you listen to uh, Barah Ministries lessons, you're not listening to the last six minutes. Because every week I tell you in the last six minutes exactly why there's hope in us. Because we believe this and we reject this. Period. And my teaching is going to get more exclusive, not less. Because Christianity is different from religion. And I'm going to be sure that I'm saying that loud and clear so that there is no mistake. And if that offends people and if that has empty seats in here, so be it. I'm good with it. Yeah, the people that are in Baran Ministries are serious students of the Word of God. We actually want to know who Jesus Christ is, and we're not worried about who's offended 
by Jesus Christ. We appreciate it that our leader stepped up and was different from everybody. What did he say? I didn't come to bring peace. I came to be, bring a sword that will separate mother and daughter, father and son, brother-in-law and sister-in-law, and a man's enemies will be the members of his own house, and a prophet has honor just not in his own hometown and not with his own family members. I don't expect to be liked. I don't expect to be honored. I don't. I expect to be disrespected by empty seats. That's what I expect. And it's not going to stop me or deter me from teaching the truth. And the stuff that I'm saying is the truth. It's inspired by God the Holy Spirit. It's coming through my mouth from him. And if you don't like what I say, you don't like him. And that's in the Bible too. If, they don't, if they're not on your side, then they're against you. Okay, I get it. But I'm not going to sit up here and soft soap uh, the, 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 the message of Christianity just to please somebody. There's no way in hell. And anybody who knows me would know to never come to me with anything that stupid because it would never happen. So that's that. On to my exclusivity. Today's Bible lesson. Idol worship exchanges the real God for a false God. Idol worship exchanges the real God for a false guy. And we have a lot of idols in our lives. And last week I asked you to write down what some of those idols were. And I appreciate those of you who shared the list. Long list. Right? And thank God for God the Holy Spirit who is edging us away from all those idols. Who's stealing us back from all those idols. Who's purging all that impurity from us. So that we can have one God and one path. One. Our exclusive Club God. All right, so Galatians chapter 5, verse 1 says this. It was for freedom that the Lord Jesus Christ set us free. Therefore, keep on standing fast in the freedom and do not ever again be subject to the yoke of slavery. This is the weekend that we celebrate freedom in the United States of America. Do you remember when we had freedom? And when we enjoyed it, because we don't have it anymore. What we have is not socialism. You wish. Socialism was 20 years ago. What we have is fascism. And there are cowards in the background running this country who are not stepping up to the front so we can see who the people are who are vilifying all of our leaders and who are destroying every single institution that stands for anything. Just like the Bible predicted. Little did we know how easily we would be willing to forfeit our freedom voluntarily to fear of a virus, yet we have. And as we celebrate America's 244th birthday, also known as Independence Day, I can't help but think that our founding fathers would be appalled with what we have done for this country. We are anything but independent, and we are certainly not united. And everybody's acting like this is recent. This isn't recent. This isn't recent. In 1960, 
people in the South couldn't go to the University of Alabama. Black people in the South couldn't go to the University of Alabama. This isn't new. That's, that could never be mistaken for United. This isn't new. And everybody is all shocked about it. Oh, my God, I, I can't believe. I thought racism was over. Yeah, of course you do in your neighborhood. Come on over to my neighborhood and see if it's over. It's not over. So Christians, as Christians, we don't lose heart. We're not laying down waiting for the rapture because that's not what we were asked to do by our God. What did he say? Stand firm in the face. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. And so we're not backing down. Because we make a difference in this miserable world, and we know that the Lord Jesus Christ still controls history. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says this, And the Lord Jesus Christ is the radiance of God the Father's glory, and he is the exact representation of the Father's nature. Why? Because he's the same in essence as God the Father. And Jesus upholds all things by the word of his power. And when he had made purification of sins... He sat down at the right hand of the majesty, God the Father, on high. So as we do every Independence Day, let us be reminded both of what this country stands for and how it began by hearing the Declaration of Independence. The unanimous declaration of the 13 United States of America when in the course of human events it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them. A decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all are created equal, that all are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. And among these rights are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Isn't it about time we figure out that's what we need to do today? Isn't it about time for us to replace the government that's stealing our freedom and is turning into a fascist state and is systematically destroying the United States of America? Now, prudence indeed will dictate that governments long established should not be changed for light and transient causes. And accordingly, all experience has shown that mankind is more disposed to suffer while evils are sufferable, than to right themselves by abolishing the forms to which they have been accustomed. In other words, we are habit-oriented. 
and we'll put up with anything, and we will voluntarily give up our freedom because it's easy. But when a long train of abuses and usurpations, pursuing invariably the same object, evinces a design to reduce them under absolute despotism, tyranny, fascism, socialism, it is their right, it is their duty to throw off such government and to provide new guards for their future security. Such has been the patient sufferance of these colonies, and such is now the necessity that constrains them to alter their former systems of government. The history of the present king of Great Britain is a history of repeated injuries and usurpations, all having in direct object the establishment of an absolute tyranny over this, these states. And to prove this, let the following facts be submitted to a candid world. And on your own, you can go to a website, type in the direct Declaration of Independence and read the usurpations, and you'll see the same stuff that's going on right now in our country. In every stage of these oppressions, we have petitioned for redress in the most humblest of terms. Our repeated petitions have been answered only by repeated injury. A prince whose character is thus marked by every act which may define a tyrant is unfit to be the ruler of a free people. Nor have we been wanting in attentions to our British brethren. We have warned them from time to time of attempts by their legislature to extend an unwarrantable jurisdiction over us. We have reminded them of the circumstances of our immigration and settlement here. We have appealed to their native justice and magnanimity, and we have conjured them by the ties of our common kindred to disavow these usurpations, which would inevitably interrupt our connections and our correspondence. They, too, have been deaf to the voice of justice and the voice of consanguinity. We must, therefore, acquiesce in the necessity which denounces our separation and hold them as we hold the rest of mankind, enemies in war, in peace, friends. We, therefore, the representatives of the United States of America in general Congress, assembled, appealing to the supreme judge of the world for a rectitude of our intentions, do in the name and by the authority of the good people of these colonies, solemnly publish and declare that these colonies are, and of right ought to be, free and independent states, that they are absolved from all allegiance to the British crown, and that all political connections between them and the state of Great Britain is and ought to be totally dissolved, and that as free and independent states, they have full power to levy war, to conclude peace, to contract alliances, to establish commerce, and to do all other acts and things which independent states of a right might do. And for the support of this declaration, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. This declaration of independence was the equivalent of David walking in front of Goliath with five stones and a slingshot 
thinking that he was going to take down a nine-foot-tall giant in armor. Great Britain is one of the most powerful nations ever. They owned, at this time, they owned everything. Australia, India, China, they owned everything. The United States. And a group of about 30 or 40 men stood up to them and wrote this amazing document as a treatise to freedom and as a rejection to fascism and socialism and tyranny and became not a democracy but a republic. And what we've seen in the 244 years is a systematic deterioration of this amazing republic into a democracy, into fascism, through socialism, into fascism. And we, like frogs in cold water, sit there doing absolutely nothing. Well, I say God bless America. I say that the reason that this country is great is because of God and no one else. I say that the reason this country has any blessing whatsoever is because of Christians who fall to their knees and pray to the Almighty God to save this nation, and he's doing it. And so let's not be delinquent in our prayers for our amazing nation. All right, so let's hear some music. Our founding fathers, despite their imperfections, despite their sinfulness, and with all of their failures as human beings on the journey of life, still penned one of the greatest treatises on freedom outside of the Bible. And even they are under attack now. All the founding fathers had slaves, so that makes them terrible. Yeah, whatever, man. Whatever. There are a lot of people that have slaves, have had slaves, good people, amazing people. Stop being shocked that the people who run the nation are imperfect. Stop being shocked that they're human beings. It's easy to see how the Declaration of Independence was divinely inspired. And as a tribute to our founding fathers, let's hear the Gaither Vocal Band give a tribute to a few good men. What this dying world could use is a willing man of God Dares to go against the grain and work without applause The man who raised the shield of faith, protecting what is pure Whose love is tough and gentle, a man whose word is God doesn't need an orator who knows just what to say. He doesn't need authority to reason him away. He doesn't need an army to guarantee a win. He just needs a few good men. 
broken down His life has been renewed Because the one who has the strength Stand up for the truth Enlistment lines are open And he wants you to come in He just needs a few Heavenly Father, for the privilege of studying your absolute truth, the Word of God. Father, let freedom ring. Let it ring first and foremost in the halls of our heart through the direction we receive from God the Holy Spirit. Let freedom ring. Let it ring in our attitude toward others who are struggling to separate the truth from the propagandic lies of a deceitful media complex. Let freedom ring as we think and speak your word to light our own paths to live successfully in the kingdom you have placed us in, the kingdom of darkness. Father, teach us to make a difference. Teach us to be fearless in our communication of the gospel message. Teach us patience with each other as the genuineness of our spiritual lives are tested. Teach us to have compassion for those who are new to or growing in the faith. Teach us to love others as you do unconditionally, and teach us not to be complacent in this world, instead to show up as lights to the world. We ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit, in Christ's name. Say it with me. Amen. Amen. Today's Bible lesson, idol worship, exchanges the real God for a false God. Idol worship exchanges the real God for a false God. There are a lot of people who are off worshiping the world today. 
And don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with enjoying time off and enjoying weekends. There's nothing wrong with that. But you'd have to ask yourself, what time are you dedicated to God? You have 168 hours a week. What, how much of your time are you setting aside to worship the sovereign God of the universe, the one who created you and the one who is sustaining you and the one who's allowing you to breathe every moment? How much of your time does he get? And if you consider him to be a relationship, How can you then say, out of the other side of your two-faced mouth, how can you say that you love him and you have a relationship with him when you don't give him any of your time? In the human realm, you would never think that you were building a relationship with somebody you didn't spend time with. Yet we find it absolutely okay not to spend time with God. When every single day of our life, that should be a priority in our lives. And not should as in the guilt sense, should as in what's wrong with you if you aren't doing it. Why wouldn't you want to eat of spiritual food every single day of your life? Is there a day in your life when you don't need spiritual food? I don't think so. But see, you know, you, you, if you want a little sheep dip of Christianity... You go to the Joel Osteens of the world, and he'll tell you, oh, man, if you just, you know, do, 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 prosperity, 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 speak it, and it'll occur. And we sit and we listen to that crap, we speak it, and then we're broke. Now, if if somebody tells you something and it doesn't happen, then you have to question it. But that's what we want. And the Bible predicts it. The Bible says there will be times when even the elect don't endure sound doctrine. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they'll accumulate for themselves teachers who tickle. I am not a tickler. I am not a tickler as a pastor. And I am not a tickler as a friend. And I would not be myself if I ever become that. If I ever become that, please do me a favor. Shoot me in my face. Kill me that moment. Because that will never be me. No way. And don't ask me to be that. Because I'm not going to be that. Worshiping substitute gods is not a small matter. And in today's world, it's really easy to do. And the list is long. After all, even data is becoming an idol. There is more information coming at us than we can process as human beings. Let me put that to you simply. Your capacity as a human being is 10 pounds of data. Imagine a 10-pound bag. You can hold 10 pounds of data in that bag. How much data is coming at you? A 1,000 pounds of data. You can't get... 9,990 of those pounds in your bag. Now, am I kidding you? Is that your experience? Because that's mine. There's never been a time when there are more books, more access to information. Right here on your smartphone, you can access every library on planet Earth more than the volumes in the Smithsonian Institution. All of it coming at you all the time. 
Only problem is you don't have a break. B-R-A-K-E. You don't stop the information flow. You don't hide from the information flow. And so what does it do? It completely overwhelms your senses. It completely dominates you. And what happens to you then? You're neutralized. You're so tired mentally that you go sit down. What's wrong with you? I'm tired. I'm tired. Like my mom used to say, I got to catch up on my rest. That's what's really happening to us. Why? Because we go into that thousand pounds of data and pull out from it a whole bunch of idols to occupy our time, to kill time, and none of those idols are the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'm preaching to people who take out time for Jesus Christ, but you aren't the only people listening to this. And so you have to be patient as other people hear this. And what people want me to do is they want me to stop talking in the beginning about Jesus Christ every week. And what they want me to do at the end is to stop talking about the same gospel message every week. No, not doing it. No, why would I do that? That would be an embarrassment to my God. I would never do that. I wouldn't be able to live with myself. When I get to heaven, I'm probably going to get one reward. A reward for being a Christian. One reward. I'm probably going to have a mansion that's got one room. And I'm good with that. As long as when I'm standing in front of him, I can look him in the face, if that's even possible, and tell him, when people ask me about you, I told them who you really are. That's how I measure myself as a pastor. If I stand up here and I give you an accurate gospel message, as a true teacher and not as a false teacher. That's how I measure myself. And no, that is not compromisable. So here we are in this world pretending to be Christians, a lot of us, when really what we are is cafeteria Christians. We pick and choose what we like. This isn't Facebook. I like that. Ooh, smile emoji. This isn't emoji land. This is truth land. Why are we here? To learn the truth and to have it inculcated into your soul through repetition so that when you go out there, you can discern the truth from a lie. Because what do they do for bank tellers? How do they teach bank tellers to identify counterfeit money? They teach them what good money looks like. They never show them counterfeit money. Because if you know what the truth is, you'll see the lie. And if you don't know what the truth is, you cannot discern the lie. Don't, don't talk about Mormons. A Christian asking me not to talk about or bag on the Mormons. That person should be embarrassed that they aren't telling their Mormon friends that they're going to be in the lake of fire if they don't change their mind about Christ. There is no way I could look my friends in the face and not tell them that message. Friends, you're not a friend if you can't tell somebody that message. And if you can't teach that very same thing to your kids so that they can transmit that message. And you're nobody's friend. There's more information coming at us than we can process as human beings. Yet even when we are obviously overwhelmed by the amount of data coming at us, we still want to process it all. 
even though we can't. It short circuits our lives. It sucks us into giving time to meaningless things. And that's one aspect of today's idol worship. One of the things you should do is get a grid that has 168 hours on it. Monday through Sunday, 12 hours, 12 a.m. to 11.59 p.m. And just track for two weeks how you invest that time. If you sleep, mark off the time you were asleep. Mark down when you woke up. Mark down everything you did during the day. And then just assess it. Look at it. And I'll tell you what you will see. You are wasting your life. You are wasting your time. You are not doing anything meaningful. Because here's the truth. In our lives, there are about three things that are meaningful. And everything else is completely non-essential. Completely. Well, what are those three things? We don't bother. We ain't got time for that. We're too busy running around with the non-essential stuff to stop and think about that. Unfortunately, we have become so arrogant, first as individuals and second as a society, that we're oblivious to the devastation this data overload poses and how we are allowing it to rob us of life. As we study the next three chapters of Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, our lifestyle of idol worship will come into sharp focus. And as always, we can choose what we want to do about it. All right, so let's read the first part of the next passage. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 to 13. Here's what it says. Now concerning things sacrificed to idols. Remember, now concerning is Paul addressing the things that were in the letter to him from Chloe's people. Now concerning things sacrificed to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge makes us arrogant, but love is edifies. 1 Corinthians 8, 2, if anyone supposes that he knows anything, he is not yet known as he ought to know. 1 Corinthians 8, 3, but if anyone loves God, he is known by God. 1 Corinthians 8, 4, therefore, concerning the eating of things sacrificed to idols, we know that there is no such thing as an idol in the world, and that there is no God but one. 1 Corinthians 8.5, for even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, small g, small l, 1 Corinthians 8.6, yet for us as believers in Christ, there's but one God, the Father, from whom are all things, and we exist for him, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we exist through him. 1 Corinthians 8.7, however, Not all men have this knowledge, but some, being accustomed to the idol until now, eat food as if it were sacrificed to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. 1 Corinthians 8.8, but food will not commend us to God. We are neither the worse if we do not eat, nor the better if we do eat. 1 Corinthians 8.9. But take care that this liberty of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. 1 Corinthians 8.10 For if someone sees you who have the knowledge dining in an idol's temple, will not his conscience, if he is weak, be strengthened to eat things sacrificed to idols? 1 Corinthians 8.11 For through your knowledge he who is weak is ruined, the brother for whose sake Christ died. 1 Corinthians 8.12. And so by sinning against the brethren and wounding their conscience when it is weak, 
you sin against Christ. 1 Corinthians 8.13 Therefore, if food causes my brother to stumble, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause my brother to stumble. The next passage we study extends from 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1 to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. And as we studied the passage, I asked you to read the whole thing. So you ought to be seeing some of the first part of this where Paul is winding into it. The subject matter has to be investigated as a whole because it's easy to get lost if we don't keep the context of the passage and the context of the entire letter in mind. The subject matter in this passage centers around a dispute in the first century Corinthian church over food sacrificed to idols. Now, God's position on idols and idolatry is pretty clear. In Exodus chapter 20, verses 4 to 6, here's what he says. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above, that is, the things in the sky, the sun, the moon, and the stars. It was really funny in my study this week, uh, one of the commentators suggested that if people start worshiping the sun, that God should get rid of the sun. <laughs> I said, he should, he should live in 2020, because that's how stupid people are in 2020. We should get rid of the sun because some people are worshiping, goofy people are worshiping it. Or on the earth. So you shall, you shall not make an idol for, make for yourselves an idol or any likeness of what's in the heaven above or on the earth beneath, like animals, or in the water under the earth, like sea life. Exodus 25, you shall not worship idols or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, on the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. And that's a reference to unbelievers. Exodus 26, but showing loving kindness, God's amazing grace to thousands, to those who love me and who keep my mandate. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1, to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, Paul is being indirect with the Corinthians as he unfolds the answer to a simple question. Why can't we eat idle food? We ask a similar t- question today. Why isn't it okay if every once in a while we choose not to listen to the Lord's direction and instead we sin? Isn't that okay? Well, it isn't. Why is Paul being indirect with his answer? Well, because unlike your pastor, Paul would rather be persuasive than being coercive. I prefer to just hit you over the head. I would say, seriously, you're thinking about eating food sacrificed to idols? What a goof. Paul is a bit more diplomatic. On occasion, allowing free will to think about a situation and then to make a choice is a lot better than being directive. And Paul is a master of letting people make up their own minds. Now, when we return from our five-minute break, we'll take your offering, and then we'll finish up the background of this section so that we can actually get into the passage and study it. Take a five-minute break. Why you ever chose me has always been a mystery. Been told I belong at the end of the line with all the other not quite will all the never get it right but it turns out they're the ones you were looking for all this time cause 
Welcome back. Today's Bible lesson, Idol Worship Exchanges the Real God for a False God. Idol Worship Exchanges the Real God for a False God. The Apostle Paul talked about giving more than any of the New Testament authors of Scripture, yet never once did he mention the word tithe. Instead, what he taught is that systematic giving, voluntary giving, on a regular and predetermined basis is the way Christians express their gratitude to God. And I hope that you follow Paul's direction by giving systematically, voluntarily, and intentionally, rather than under religious guilt and compulsion, as an expression of your spiritual life and your spiritual gift. Let's welcome up Deacon Denny Goodall with the offering message. Good morning. My name is Zenny Goodall, and I'm blessed to be a deacon for Barah Ministries. We're all real people who come to listen to a real pastor teach the real truth from the Word of God. And we're worldwide. So this, this last lesson about idols, it was, I've been thinking about it all week. I can't stop thinking about it. And I, I feel like it's something we should have talked about a long time ago, is idols, because they're just, we place them in front of everything. We have so many idols, that things that we think are good you know, that are good for us, like work. People have work as an idol, you know, and they, they work too much. And they work all the time, and they avoid relationships, especially a relationship with God. And, you know, it's, it's, Pastor brought up religion, and that was my main focus this week, was thinking about how many people think they're doing the right thing by going to a Catholic church or a Mormon church, and they, they feel good, and they have the energy, and they leave, and they think they're doing the right thing, but they're really, <clears throat> they're not worshiping God. They're worshiping a small g God, and Satan loves it, and Satan loves for us to add more and more idols, and I was thinking, you know, idols are kind of, there's small ones and there's big ones, some take a little bit of time, some take a lot of your time, and Satan loves it, we just add more idols and more idols, and you know, either, whether it's Christian, whether you're a believer or, or an unbeliever, we add idols to our lives, and they block out God, and you think about it, the more bury, the more idols we have, it forms a barrier between us and God. And it's really simple, and we can see it in the Bible. It confirms this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. In whose case the God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So people are just blinded. They're at a church. They think they're, they're doing the right thing. And they have this idol, and it's taken away their life. It's taken away their relationship. And we can see, it confirms it even more in Mark chapter 4, verse 15. These, the one who are hard-hearted and indifferent, are the ones who are beside the road where the word of God, the gospel message, is sown. And when they hear the word, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word which has been sown in them. And so from blinding them to taking the word, I mean, he, take, he puts a room in our soul and then he puts up barriers and we put up idols and we just go right along with it. And it's so easy to think that what we're doing is correct because we create our own idols. And, you know, I was even thinking last week, Pastor mentioned, you know, that people in the Corinthian times would, would worship saints. And I was thinking, well, I'm a saint. Why don't you guys worship me? <laughs> so I was joking with, with Pastor Rory. I was calling him Saint Clark. <laughs> but really, we're all saints. And, you know, we should all be proud of that. And we should all remind people that, 
who, who Christ is. He is God. And it's really easy to say, and it's really important to say, because we stand around people all the time that are blinded, and they're pulled away from God in this dark world, and we need to show them how the, the simple way to salvation, faith, faith alone and Christ alone, because He is God. And He's the perfect payment for everything. And so we, we thank you for always giving it the offering because we're cracking into those people's lives. We're breaking down some of those, those, those idols, especially with this type of lesson. And we're shining some light in their lives, in their dark lives. And it's really important to do that. And it's really important to give it the offering because it helps everybody spread the word. It reminds everybody that you know actions speak a lot louder than words. When you say, I give to a church, it means a lot more when you actually do give to the church. You know, and we, we spend so much of our time, our talent, and our treasure on idols. So let's spend it on the one true idol, Jesus Christ. So thank you very much. Welcome back. Today's Bible lesson, Idol Worship Exchanges the Real God for a False God. Idol Worship Exchanges the Real God for a False God. One of the things, thank you, Deacon Denny, for a great message. One of the things I'm most grateful for is that I'm not an idol and I am not a role model. You know, and uh, people are always trying to get me to step into this pastor, up on a pedestal pastor crap. You know, you're a pastor. You ought to act certain ways. I'm a pastor, and you ought to shut up. That's what ought to happen. Because here's the thing. I'm not going to put on the pastor role. I am a pastor because that's my spiritual gift, and I'm using it. I identified it as my spiritual gift. I am using it as my spiritual gift. And that's it. But when you're around me, you're going to hear swear words and decadent things and all the things that you would normally hear from a man. And if you don't like that, then you don't like me. And if you don't like me, I'm good with it. But I'm not putting on the pastor role. And the funny thing about the God who gave me the gift of pastor teacher is he knew just how stupid I would be about a billion years ago before he gave me the gift and before he created me. 
and he knew that I wouldn't accept that step up to the pastor pedestal, phony, lying crap. No thank you. No thanks. That's not me. But that's the reason why the people in my congregation have this strange feeling like when they have a problem, they can actually call me and talk to me about it. And that they can actually get through. They actually have my phone number and they actually get through and they don't mind telling me all the things that are wrong with them. You know why? Because I tell them all the things that are wrong with me and I'm not embarrassed by it. I'm not trying to live up to some phony standard. I don't get $3 million for book deals. I can write better than anybody who's ever written in the pastor realm, but I don't get $3 million for book deals. I can be famous. You think that I can't fill these seats right here? You're looking at one of the best salespeople in the world. In the world. I have a selling system that I created that is a worldwide phenomenon. I can enroll anybody in anything. I can get you guys to walk off a cliff with me drinking a a, a glass of Kool-Aid on the way down. Fruit punch flavor. I am an enroller. As a parent, don't believe it, ask my two boys, I am one of the most coercive parents who has ever lived on the face of the earth. And you know what I learned from being a coercive parent? That coercion only works when you're there. As soon as you turn your back, they're off doing what they want to do. So I don't try to coerce you. Do I not like it when you don't know what your spiritual gift is and you're not using it in the church? No, I don't like it. Do I ever say anything about it to you? No, I'm not going to. That's God's job. God's going to tell you. But you should be embarrassed if you don't know what your spiritual gift is and whether you're putting it into play. It's as simple as that. Because I would be but I'm not going to do that to you. That's not what God does to me. God doesn't come into my house every week and say, hey, man, hey, you're going you're gonna to go teach this week? He doesn't say anything. He said, hey, if you teach, you teach, and if you don't, you don't. You want to teach in front of Barah Ministries and use your spiritual gift that way? Great. You don't want to teach Barah Ministries? You want to use it another way, sitting in your house and writing books and being sheltered in place? Well, knock yourself out. I want to be here. I'm not going to accept the role of the phony. There are a lot of those guys. I'm not that guy. Never will be that guy. You don't have to worry. All right, so today's Bible lesson, idol worship exchanges the real God for a false God. I am not your God. Now let's finish up the background that introduces this next passage. What is an idol? Idols are figments of our mental imagination, often things that do not exist, and they're thought to bring some benefit. They are lifeless things to which we give power and to which we extend devotion. Always with a demon behind them, there's the key. Always with a demon in the background. And that's what demons are. They are phonies. They are seductive. They're insidious. They put this metal or, or stone or wood thing up here, and they're hiding behind. And what are they doing behind? Stealing 
your spiritual life. It's exactly what's going on in the world right now. There's this COVID and there's this demon behind all this or a series of demons behind it. But they're not more powerful than our God. What is idolatry? Idolatry is the result of a mind led astray from the simplicity and purity of exclusive devotion to Christ. It's the practice of giving homage to, offering devotion to, and worshiping false, lifeless gods while simultaneously rejecting the living God, making a God out of something that is not God, like family, like career, like self, like money, like drugs, like sex. Like it or not, we live in or visit cultures where food is sacrificed to worship idols. There are times we know that the food has been sacrificed to idols. There are times when we don't. And Paul is kind of funny because he says, don't check. <laughs> and we'll see that as we go through the passage. If you read the whole package, you know, it's like, Paul, what are you saying? What's the problem, though, with food sacrificed to idols? Paul's really clear on that. Don't do it. Is it legitimate to eat idol meat? And the answer is no. Truly, though, eating food offered to idols, because idols don't exist, pose no real threat to Christians. If you're worshiping something and it doesn't exist, that poses no real threat to a Christian. But there is a reason why Paul is telling us to stay away from this crap that we'll get into as we get into the passage. Well, what were the Apostle Paul's thoughts when he was around idols? Acts chapter 17, verse 16 gives us a glimpse. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was being provoked within him as he was observing the city full of idols. What does it mean to have your spirit provoked within you? It means that you're mad. You might have noticed that I have been provoked this week and that I came out with both barrels blazing because I'm upset about it. Because there are a lot of times in your life where you think somebody is your friend and then they come out of their true bag on you. See? And that, more than anything, provokes me. Because it's a scab that's been picked way too many times by phonies who pretend to be your friend but who are really treating you as an object. Like you are a thing. Making an idol out of you. I don't like it. And I call people on it when they do it. My sons do that every once in a while, and I called one of them on it recently. And it was an ugly situation. Because I don't like being treated that way. Greece was filled with philosophers, the deep thinkers of the day, like the Stoics. And they were the triumphant tragedy people filled with self-sufficiency. And the Epicureans, the don't worry, be happy people, yeah, we got those still around. They're just not called Epicureans. Who espoused and sold their viewpoints to the masses. And that's the whole thing. Everybody's always looking to get in a group of people who think equally stupidly and then to impose that series of thinking on everybody else. Isn't that right? Black lives matter, man. Black lives matter. Read their doctrines. If you think black lives matter, read their doctrines. Why would we even have to say black lives matter? All lives matter. 
Why do we have to talk about race? I'm sick of it. The color of your skin has nothing to do with anything. If you think it does, you got a problem in your head. It's not society. It's you. You need to fix that. And nobody can fix that but you. And there's nobody from the outside who's going to come and pronounce to you, okay, you're black, now you're equal. There's nobody going to pronounce that to you. It's not happening. And if it did happen, what would it change in your life? You'd still find another excuse to do nothing. No. No. That is never okay with me. So these guys, these groups, love to debate with Paul. His teachings concerning Christ and his resurrection were totally foreign to the deep thinkers. And so Paul had to get them straightened out. Acts chapter 17, verses 22 to 29. Paul is a fastball right down the middle. Tell me if you think that they were offended by what he said. Acts 17, 22. So Paul stood in the midst of Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I observe that you are very religious in all respect. He starts off by punching them in the face. What is the Areopagus? It is a prominent rock formation located northwest of the Acropolis in Athens, Greece. It's more commonly known as the Hill of Ares, which is a tribute to the god of war. It's a lot like uh, there's a place in London, Speaker's Corner. And it's the funniest thing where there's this place where you can go every day at about from 3 p.m. to 5 p.m. And you can just get up and give a speech and a bunch of people gather around to listen to whatever it is you have to say. It's hilarious to go just listen to people there. And this was very much the same thing. Acts chapter 17, verse 23. For while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, idols, I also found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. Therefore, because of what you worship in ignorance, instead of worshiping the true God, this I proclaim to you to help you be clear. See, the idol to an unknown God was the Greeks' attempt to be thorough and not to slight any God that they were unaware of. So they had one idol that was a package to any gods we didn't really identify because we weren't smart enough. And one of those gods was the true God. Because they didn't want to make anybody mad. Here's what Paul tells them, and this is the truth. Acts chapter 17, verse 24. The God who made the world and all things in it, since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with human hands like the pantheon of Greek gods do. Acts 17, 25. Nor is he served by human hands as though God needed anything from those he created. He needs nothing from us since he himself gives everyone life and breath and all things. Acts 17, 26. And he made from one man, Adam, every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times in advance and the boundaries of their habitation in advance. And what Paul was saying here is nations other than Greece. Greek, Greece, you know, if, if the Greeks had drawn a map, Greece would be this big, and then the rest of Europe would be a little little dot. Because <laughs> they thought they were it. Acts 17, 27. That they would seek the one and only real God, if perhaps they might grope for him and find him. 
grope through all the idols, that is. Though he is not far from each one of us, our God is omnipresent. He is an ever-accessible God, and God reveals himself in ways that make sense to human beings. Acts 17, 28. For in him we live and move and exist, even as some of your own poets like Aratus have said, for we also are his children. These philosophers were so smart that they didn't even know that their very being Every element of their lives were dependent on a God they didn't know or worship, that unknown God of whom they speak. Acts 17, 29. Being then the children of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone. It's not like idols, images formed by the art and thought of man. Bam! It is not at all unusual that Paul would be dealing with idol worship because it was prevalent in the day. What Paul is going to give us as we study this passage is practical suggestions for dealing with idol food when we're interacting with pagans. Since we deal with pagans all the time on matters other than idolatry, there will be sound advice in this passage about how to deal with other areas of our lives as well. You know what? We would be absolutely appalled if everybody who was a believer in Christ had a plus R stenciled to their forehead. We would be appalled at how few plus R's we would see. We would be shocked to know that we are in the presence of ten people and eight of them aren't believers in Christ. People that we think are believers in Christ are not believers in Christ. And if you, and you know why we don't know? Because we don't ever ask anybody, what's your spiritual life like? What do you believe about God? What do you believe about Jesus Christ? You want to be shocked? Ask that third question. Start with that one. Hey, what do you think about Jesus Christ? And then don't say another word after that and just listen. And anything that isn't the four words that are hanging over my head, It's a bunch of crap. Jesus Christ is God. Now ask. Find out. And I guarantee you, if you do that, your heart's going to get real soft. And when your heart gets real soft, you will never want an empty seat next to you. You will always want somebody in that seat so they can hear over and over and over and over again who Jesus Christ is, and what it takes to get to heaven. If you get the Guinness Book of World Records and you look up the most evangelism attempts by a father to his children, I'm in there. I evangelize to my children 300 times a year for 20 years, always asking them, how do you get to heaven, man? How do you get to heaven? Ah, dad. Don't give me that all dad. You better all dad answer my question before all dad come down your throat. You know why? Because I want my kids in heaven with me. And I'm not going to take their salvation for granted. I'm not going to be walking around them with the plus R on my head and have them be disqualified. Because that's important. 
and your family and all your little family weekend events aren't. That's important. And if you don't have that right, then you better get it right. The most challenging part of being a Christian is the exclusive nature of it. Let's face it, we want to fit in. I want to fit in. I have never fit in in my life. But I want to fit in. When I got out of the ghetto and came into mainstream, the mainstream world, what do you think the first thing I wanted to do is? And I see the mainstream world as a bridge. I came across the bridge and I said, wow, there's a world over here. This is amazing, man. What do you think the first thing I did was? I ran back over the bridge, tried to get all my family. Come on over, man. You won't believe what's over there. We don't want to go over there. What do you mean you don't want to go over there? You don't want to be out of the, out of the hood? Out of the ghetto? No, we like it here. It's comfortable. Okay. Well, I told you I am one of the great coercers of all time. So I get my rope, and I put a rope around them, and I drag them across the bridge. Say, what do you think? And I didn't untie the rope. What do you think? Wow, it's nice over here. Yeah, you want to stay? And they kept, they keep looking back at the bridge. Okay, you got to untie them sometime. Untie them. What do they do? Beelined it back across the bridge. That broke my heart. You know why? Because I want to fit in. I don't want to be a freak. I don't want to be a Jesus freak. I don't want to be a Bible thumper. I want to fit in. That's why I come to Barah Ministries. I want to see... 15 other people who think like I do. I want to fit in. But I don't want to fit into the world. I want to fit in with people who believe that sign behind me. That's the way to heaven, the only way. It's an exclusive club through believing in an exclusive guy. That's all. If you want your relationship with Christ to be pure, free from the taint of the world, you are a freak. Christians don't fit in. If you are focused, you are a freak. People who are focused don't fit in. And let's face it, we don't want to be freaks. We want to fit in. We want to be loved. We want to be liked. Genuinely. Idols are designed to get you to forget about God. And they work, right, Deacon Denny? That's what Deacon Denny said in so many words. When you're listening to the flesh, that part of you, your body, that is anti-God, that is more powerful than you and your ego, when you listen to that part of you, you are not listening to God. Temptation from the flesh is pressure to conform. It's pressure to fit in, and we do. I'm walking around without a mask. You know why? Because I don't want to breathe my carbon dioxide. It's gross. And I have bad breath most of the time. Amen? And I ain't trying to carry around Listerine all the time so I can gargle, so I can smell Listerine smell in my mask. So I don't wear a mask. And everybody's looking at me like I'm a leper. I don't care. I'm black. You've been looking at me that way for, for my whole life. I don't care. I don't want to fit in with you. My body knows how to handle flu. If you're scared, be scared. Don't make me scared. I'm not scared. 
Besides, you can't eat a hot dog with no damn mask on. Amen? Now, look. Look, I want to respect the people who have a different opinion. There are people in our congregation who aren't coming because they have a different opinion. I respect that. I do. And it's because they don't want to expose people that are important to them. I get it. I do. I genuinely get it. Since I don't feel that way. I don't feel that way. But I guess if I did, if I, if I thought I was putting you in harm's way somehow, then we go to the mattresses, man. We go to the, we don't have to come here. We just pay $2,200 a month for here and not show up. But I want to be here with you. I want you to infect me. Because I have faith in Christ. And I don't think he's going to take me out with a virus. He's got much more sophisticated plans for me. But we prefer the pseudo-strength that comes from doing what everyone else is doing. I get it. This is especially a challenge for new Christians who have just left pagan worship like the Corinthian believers. So as we grow, as we learn the worthlessness of idols through experience, we'll learn the simplicity and purity and clarity derived from everything being one with God, one baptism, one spirit, one Christ, one way to heaven, one Father, one Baptism for the forgiveness of sins. One, 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 one. God is patient with us as we learn to deal with the issues of our lives, like idols and idolatry. And he overlooks our ignorance. And he gives us time to figure out that there's only one way. His way. Not our way. So next week... We'll get into this passage and see what, what's going on verse by verse. And then we'll also have the Lord's Supper. And the Lord's Supper, we're going to look back at the cross and we're going to see the difference between done and do. The difference between done and do. For Christians, done. For the religious, do. Well, the closing moments of our study are the most important moments of this study. First and foremost... This part of the lesson is for the benefit of believers in Christ so that you are always ready to give an account of why there is hope in you. Second, this part of the lesson is for unbelievers so that you can be saved. So you can be transformed by God from being a sinner to being a saint. And this message is called the gospel and it is the good news and it offers you a chance to make the most important decision of your life. There is one inescapable truth that is at the very root of Christianity. Christ. Jesus Christ is God. He is the truth in his very person, and there is only one way to get to heaven, by placing your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and in what he has done at the cross on your behalf. The bad news is that you were born a sinner. The good news is that Jesus Christ paid a price with his blood so that you can be saved. And this message is your chance to have a personal relationship with the sovereign God of the universe, the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We want you to know that God wants you. If you're going to place your confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ for your eternal salvation, you probably should get to know him as soon as you can. 
And while there are many things to know about him, here are a critical few. The Lord Jesus Christ, the sovereign God of the universe and the Savior of all mankind, says there are two destinations in your eternal future. Either heaven, which the Bible describes as the small gate and the narrow way, or the lake of fire, which the Bible describes as the wide gate and the broad way. Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Enter through the narrow gate. That's Christ. For the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. That's religion. And there are many who enter through the wide gate. Matthew seven fourteen. But the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to the resurrection life. That's Christ. And there are few who find the small gate. There are few who find Christ. Which road will you choose for your eternal life? You want to have some fun? Ask people if they think there's a heaven and a hell. It'll make you sick at your stomach. Those who are on the broad way that leads to destruction may think there is strength in numbers, yet it is not true. Believing what everybody else believes does not save you. Fitting in does not save you. Placing your confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ saves you. The Lord Jesus Christ is 100% God. That's why we call him Lord. He's 100% man, true humanity, just like you and me. And that's why we call him by his first and last name, Jesus Christ. Jesus says he is the small gate in John chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus said to the doubting apostle Thomas, I am the way to salvation. I am the truth through the word of God, the gospel message. And I am the resurrection life, eternal life. And no one comes to God the Father in heaven, but through believing in me. And I asked somebody this week, if some, a Christian, if somebody asked you to give them five verses from the Bible that give them a picture of how to be saved, and he didn't know, well, this is one of them. John 14, 6, give them that. Here's another one, Acts 16, 31. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and everyone in your household who also believes. Those on the broad way that leads to destruction place their confidence in liars, in false teachers. And the Lord Jesus Christ warns you about them in Matthew chapter 7, verse 15, which says this, Beware of the false prophets, false teachers. Put that up, Denny. False teachers who come to you in sheep's clothing, appearing harmless, who inwardly are ravenous wolves, out to destroy your eternal future. As ravenous wolves, false teachers rip your chance for a great eternity to shreds by deceiving you with a false gospel message. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12 illuminates the issue. There is a way that seems right to a man, and that way is saving yourself by thinking your good deeds will earn your salvation, but its end is the way of death, and that means the second death in the lake of fire. God's enemy, Satan, is the sponsor of false teachers, false teaching, and a false gospel message. You have to be able to discern the difference between God's truth and Satan's lies. John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32 says this. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, If you continue in my word, the word of a true teacher, then you are truly disciples of mine. 
and you will know the truth, the gospel message, and the truth will make you free. So don't wait until it's too late to consider what road you are on. Mark chapter 1, verse 15 says this, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand, so repent, change your mind about having a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, and believe in his gospel message. All right, two more of those verses coming up. Who is this God that saves you? The Apostle Paul describes the Lord Jesus Christ in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. For I, Paul, delivered to you as of first importance the gospel message, the good news I also received, that it was Jesus Christ who died for our sins according to the Scripture, and that he was buried and that he was raised from the dead on the third day according to the Scriptures. The Lord Jesus Christ has a true gospel message. And here is the last verse that I would give. John chapter 3, verse 36. And I'd give this because it has the consequence of unbelief. He who believes in the Son has the resurrection life, eternal life, right at that moment. But he who does not obey the command to believe in the Son will not see the resurrection life. Instead, the wrath of God, the lake of fire, abides on him. Yes, there are consequences if you reject Jesus Christ as God. Another warning for those who choose the broad way is Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23. It says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven by obeying the gospel message will enter heaven. Matthew seven twenty-two. Many will say to me on that day, and that's the day of the great white throne judgment, the judgment for unbelievers, not believers, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name did we not cast out demons? And in your name did not we not perform many miracles? Matthew chapter 7, verse 23, And then I, the Lord Jesus Christ, will declare to them, I never knew you. Why? Because you didn't believe in me. Depart from me, you who practice the lifestyle of lawlessness. The will of God the Father is that you believe in his Son, that you have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And those who choose the narrow way have decided that faith in the Lord Jesus Christ alone is the only ticket to heaven. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 say this, For by God's grace you have been saved through faith, faith in Christ, for a so great salvation. And that grace and that faith is not from the source of yourselves. That faith is a gift from God. Ephesians 2, 9. Therefore being saved is not as a result of works, deeds you have done in self-righteousness, so that no one may boast about saving himself. So get yourself on the narrow way that leads to an eternal life in heaven. Right this moment. John fourteen six, Acts sixteen thirty one. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. John three thirty six. Get yourself on the narrow way that leads to an eternal life in heaven. Tell God the Father that you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom, the thief on the cross next to Jesus being crucified said. And that is the moment of eternal life for you. So we close with music. To the unbeliever, the Lord says in John chapter 3, 
verse 36. Now that's John chapter 8, verse 36. So if God the Son makes you free through placing your faith in Christ, you will be free indeed. To the believer in Christ, the Lord says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, you were called by the Lord to freedom, believers in Christ. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through unconditional love, use your freedom to serve one another. Well, here's June Murphy to sing, inviting both unbeliever and believer to bask in the glory of the freedom provided to us by the sovereign God of the universe, the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, with her song, Calling You to Freedom.
you you gonna you gonna live? <laughs> I'm gonna bring my bicycle pump next week. And get some oxygen in you past the halfway point. <laughs> so June has a whole new appreciation for football because when you break some ribs, when you break some ribs, it hurts to breathe. There's the breeze. So she had about half of that song, and then the last half, we needed a bicycle pump, dude. <laughs> and I'm sitting here. You know, I'm the I'm a person who feels what you're feeling. It's just like ah, I'm holding my head. I don't know what to do. <laughs> Please breathe. All right. So thank you. We appreciate that song. An excellent song. Now to Jesus Christ, the one who is able to keep you from stumbling and who's able to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Let us pray. Almighty God and Father, thanks for waking us up. Because it's really important for us to go from asleep to awake and awake to aware and aware to alive. And it would be your preference, we know, that we were alive all the time because you are a living God and you've given us, given us the living word and you want our lives to be living reflections of your son. So we pray that you open our spiritual eyes and hold them wide open so that we can see the things that are going on around us, the idol worship and the idolatry that's going on around us. And so that we can call people to the freedom of one way to get to heaven, one almighty God, your son, and one baptism, the baptism of our, our mentor and teacher, God the Holy Spirit. We ask this through the power of God the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, say it with me. Amen. Amen. Thanks for coming. Thanks for watching. And thanks for listening.